You're listening to the Outsider Art and Occult Podcast, Pragmagic. I'm your host, Keats Ross. I'm going to try to keep the intro here short because my guest on this episode, the wonderful Nish, and I have a beefy two-hour conversation, uh, non-stop goodness, and I'd rather just jump into it. But I'd like to update a little bit. Um, I'm getting ready for a relocation to Denver, as most of you might know. This week is our last in Portland for, I don't know, the foreseeable future, but who knows where life will take us. Um, But it's all very exciting. I'm very impassioned with, you know, focus and and fun and uh, just accepting change and coming at it headstrong uh, with a fervor that I once feel like I had tons of currency in. So it feels good. I feel feel new. Feel uh, back to somewhat of my old self in the sense of you know the future is bright. Um, that said, had a very interesting couple of weeks. There was a popular uh, occultist um, convention out here. Um, I'm sure most of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and I decided I couldn't afford to go to the convention, so I decided to uh, busk out in front of it. Now, there was a couple of reasons why I did this. One of them was uh, I hadn't busked in a long time, and I thought, you know, as a Portlander and as someone who, you know, runs a, a cult or a magic-based kind of podcast, I thought, you know, it'd be cool to, to meet some people around maybe the convention. I had friends that were going. And to kind of show support in a way that I could share, you know, some creativity with. So I busked in front of the convention with the attendants uh, as they were going in. And it was real short. It was like 20 minutes. Um, Tuning peg broke. Forgot a a pick. And (laughs) it was uh, not my best performance, but I fucking did it. And I think... That is part and parcel to where I am in my life right now. It just feels good to say you're going to do something, and you fucking did it. Um, and this is where I met the wonderful Nish, and I got to meet her in person beforehand at the White Eagle uh, Saloon here in Portland. We had been talking for, uh, I don't know, a couple weeks beforehand through the internet. Uh, we met through mutual friends and other podcasts and whatnot, and... It was so great to meet her, and even better to really pick her brain about the current state of a culture for two hours. So, slither here, there, weirdos and witches. Enjoy my wonderful conversation with Nish, and we'll be back in a week or so with Carl Abrahamson, uh, live from Denver. Haunt on. Well, I just want to start. You're in a well niche, and I, I understand that as a podcaster myself. I just want to say it was really great to meet you in person, finally. Oh, thank you. It really was. Yeah, we had a great, 
week or so of like continuous conversation leading up to it and it was just so good to put a face to the name and it was short but i'm glad we're talking now yes it was short and potent right (laughs) at the white eagle which i might add is a new favorite place of mine i love that environment so it's uh, it's very special to me. I spent I think it's the first weekend where me and my current girlfriend kind of like decided that we were going to embark on a partnership. We stayed mm-hmm. there. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. In the brothel upstairs. In the brothel, in the haunted brothel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well that even makes it better for you especially and I had never been there I, I might add. So I heard heard my friend Melanie, who was there, Melanie Poe, had told me that there it, it's history. But walking in and feeling its vibe and just the idea of what a pub should be, it offers. It's dark, it's comfortable, and it's got space for a band. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just that beautiful, like, you know. Victorian. Uh, yeah, Victorian in the industrial district of the yeah. east side. It's like, I don't know, I think that's where my heart is in Portland is the industrial east yeah i love it down there too and i mean there's oh man portland r.i.p yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus yeah there's oh i have a have a candle in my heart for what portland used to be i would love to hear more about that because i wanted to you know i don't mean to be linear but i definitely have questions about the genealogy of niche you know and um, from what I've heard in different podcasts and different things that, you know, you've you're kind of Roma a little bit. Yes. Well, I have that. In, I don't have that blood in me, but I have that uh, energy in me. And who knows? I may have that blood in me. I, I don't know. Right. But in the you know, in the end, I have that blood in me as far as that gypsy feet kind of thing i've lived in over 100 plate 100 moves over 100 moves and that's with all of my fantastic estate which is made up of old things victorian and antiquities the vibe i like lots of fringe and old things and right. so i i'm not a tourist so i like to go places and 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 park <laughs> you know what i'm saying to I really do. get the vibe I, i'm not one of those people that goes to i'm gonna go to paris and just be a tourist and see the eiffel tower and this and that i need to spend i like you know six months is usually my low end right. and then other places i've been years like here and i've come back to the pacific northwest twice That's so because the weather keeps the weather i love it yeah the weather especially i'm from you know so i'm from the desert i'm from you know arid uh low desert kind of so this was the like antithesis to my childhood this yes (laughs) i always say if there's moss and fern if that grows those things grow i grow so yeah but I will tell you, I have a soft spot in my heart for parts of the Southwest in America that and I, that I've lived in and up in the Ortiz Mountains above a town called Madrid and off grid, off road. And so it's high mountain desert, but it, it it's magical. It's 
it's got this uh, autonomy to it. There's, I don't know, I, it, people who know what that's like understand and get it. Otherwise, it's just hard to describe. Yeah. The big sky. And there's still a Wild West vibe out in those areas that I really like. Very much, yeah. And what you were talking about earlier about this being the second time that you've lived in Portland, that's a mm. synchronicity mm-hmm. for us both. Because this is the second time I've lived here. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> when were you here before? Uh, around 2004 to 2007 or so. So what, and so, not to turn this on you, but I think this is a chit chat and yeah, that's how yeah. I like to go. Uh, yeah. So what, what, what was the reason that you left the first time? Why? The first time, the first time I left was to go to college in the Bay Area, which was just a travesty um <laughs> i hope you're a dropout are you drop oh yeah i'm yes, i'm like i'm like you know like <laughs> i'm a reformed protestant dropout you know? <laughs> rebel gene rise yeah, yeah yes. exactly um and so yeah that's why i left the first time but it was also i never really found um a footing so much or i just i didn't mean to be here the first time so yeah i uh was on a train to go to Seattle, and I sat next to a Mormon who told me that Portland was the Garden of Eden, and that it was like, you know, it was heaven on earth, and you should just get off and check it out. And this oh, was wow. September of 2004 or so, and I got off and then ended up <laughs> living here for three years. So I love that story that's so right up my alley. Yeah. That, that is great. It's an interesting also with the Mormon saying it's the Garden of Eden. And certainly, I think at that point in time, you were still, you still experienced old 2004. Yeah. Old Portland. Yeah. The last of it. So it was definitely like on the verge of the native versus transplant kind of thing. That yeah. Was starting to permeate. But I, I caught the beginning of that. Um, but I left for the real like apex yeah. 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 I think, I mean, for me, when it finally became, when it finally became dead is, is really not that long ago. I mean, I, I can't even pinpoint a year. There was just all of a sudden, it was like a massive wave of tearing down all those beautiful old houses and a place whose character is in that kind of thing. So yeah. now you drive around as people containers everywhere. It's the same old, same old crap in any town USA everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the ironic people that were being, you know, the, and I say that, in a snidish way the people the portland people or the people that are moving here that were trying to be ironic uh in opposition to the weirdness that was naturally here Mm -hmm. so they were trying to be i I guess i always need to explain this like normal-ish or a little bit grunge-ish to be in opposition to the real eccentrics, old time eccentrics that were here and could afford it here. Uh, Those people took over and that's what Portland has become. The tech industry and the ironic hipsters, you know, that are being like the normal thing. I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel that Um, it's definitely gotten under my skin the past couple of years for sure. I never, cause you know, I did such a good job of, 
I create these little communities or these little, you know, things that kind of flourish, but not so affected. And it finally just came in and I couldn't mm -hmm. escape it. <laughs> I know it, it's it's a sad situation. I've seen it happen in so many places I've lived and uh, it, I got, you know, I don't live in Portland any longer and I, I did. I'm not a city person at heart, even though I was born in a capital city and I've lived in many big cities over the years. I always loved Portland because it didn't feel like a city. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it started to get that, that kind of taste to it. It was the reason why I chose Portland over Seattle, mind you. Uh, Seattle feels like a city. It's a beautiful city, don't get me wrong, but it had that whole, it had all the trappings of that without this kind of comfy, beautiful, small town aspect that Portland was offering with the weirding ways and the old timers that were completely, completely themselves, no matter what yards that were wild, you know, goats and all this stuff that's still there. You know, there's all that still there, but the right. people are the, the people that were living on a certain budget that were really artists have been pushed out. Yeah. I think it got to me specifically, um, on William Street or in North Portland when they uh yeah they just they were tearing down houses left and right and they got they tried to put in they put in a new seasons which has already raised the market value of that predominantly yeah. black neighborhood pushed mm -hmm. everybody out and it was yeah I just I gave up I think that's yeah I, I think that's a good way to put it for me it's that it's not that I stopped caring. I just stopped working against it in a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I see it and recognize it. And there are other places where I, I was more invested in trying to be vocal about the change, especially about tearing down old houses. You know, I've been very, I've only, I only try to live in old houses. I only try to own them. And usually they're in ghettos where I can afford it. And well, you know, it's not even a matter of affording it. It's the beauty of old buildings that are built well. Right. There's real, real plaster, real joint wood, all the materials. You can just start with the materials alone, the bones of a house yeah. and work from how beautiful details were back in the day even in poor shanties there are amazing poor shanties around and and then move forward to the patina of age and how how they pick up this kind of wood picks up a great patina yeah. and you know all that and so uh, you know my heart was in saving those things and showing people that my whole life that these things have value and on another hello being in old houses this is a form of recycling so you know you hear these people modern people oh you're cutting out a little bit in this last little bit can you hear me yeah i can hear you did i fall out yeah i fell out a couple of times I don't even know where I was. I was on a rant key. Yeah, the wood patina. You were getting... Oh, man. I did go on from there. Oh, it was great. 
yeah, you know, so it's a f- recycling also. Right. Did that get picked up? It's a form of recycling. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and people that seem to be really proactive about that these days are living in modern houses with modern materials and spewing all this green bullshit while they're having that experience. And then the rest of us that are, you know, people like us that admire these old structures for their character, which are really participating in a form of recycling by living in these spaces and not participating in the fuckery that is new housing industry. Right. Uh, somehow we get lost in the fold of all that. <laughs> it just feels so naked to me living in something so new like that. There's like, you know, like all the lives that were lived in these wooden structures, all the like resonance, Mm-hmm. permeates and you know it's like uh buying what i call dead threads you know or like yes. recycled clothing <laughs> you know stepping in old shoes and yes it's, it's this beautiful way to kind of walk in a you know haunted pageant almost with the life it's that a, lived before you know yeah it, well it's definitely connecting to place and space mm-hmm. and uh adding adding to it it's it's also not tox you know not toxic in the same way that all the new materials are and again it's that hand craftsmanship old houses had people that actually had to plaster the walls laugh and plaster the walls none of this drywall crap and uh i mean i i can go on forever but so portland portland is one beautiful old house at a time <laughs> yeah losing its character and with that the new people mostly the tech industry uh are coming in and it's you know that whole thing is happening and it's it's bad my friend amy putney lifelong friend was in town and it was a sad situation for me to walk down the street with her and have everyone gawk at us oh. it I was like to my, you know, she noticed it. I noticed it. It's like of all places, this is like known so well for being a place for eccentrics and the weirding with the Y. And there we are, the real deal. What? And you've met me in person. Is I'm authentic. Oh yeah. And uh, there, you know, we're we've got people got the staring and little kids dropping their mouths, you know, in their eye. I zods or whatever the hell they're wearing these days and those North pole, whatever jackets. And and it was like, this should not be happening here. They wouldn't have done that. Had I had been wearing like big earplugs and was somehow super, I don't know, maybe in a tie. Yoga pants. (laughs) Oh yeah. Don't get me started on yoga pants. It's a real thing. Oh, it's a it's a scourge across the land. You know what's funny though? This is analogous to a big topic that I wanted to talk to you because I've you know we've talked about it before. But this is almost exactly analogous to the state of quote unquote culture. Yes, it's almost the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, this is the as above, so below aspect of it, right? Right. 
the, the general public and the yoga pant culture, the strip mall culture, the people container culture, uh, uh, the ironic hipster culture. And then below we have the occult and the same thing is going on within the state of culture in a different way and on and at a different level but energetically it is mirroring as always yeah that's i mean yeah the state of correspondence within that but it's almost yeah because i can see it even in different factions of you know aesthetics even too you know oh yeah you can you can immediately well everyone's a facsimile and especially right. so in a uniform in, <laughs> uh, absolutely i can spot a cos saintness anywhere i can spot i mean i can just go down the line i can spot modern day masons that are into the cool aspect of it and you know bless their hearts i can spot them though without having to see the rings i can spot i can spot the typhonian uh, they just everyone is presenting themselves without understanding and you would think occultists would understand this, but they're just all wearing it on their sleeves. Right. Oh, you dropped, you dropped out. Yeah. I, I'm expecting this with us for some reason. We're kind of radical. Yeah, we are. <laughs> where did, okay. Where did I drop out? So it was right before the expecting us. Uh, Right. I, I can I can see now, I can see the uniform that all these different factions of occultists are wearing and just spot them. And it's probably best that I that what I said dropped out anyway. Oh sure. Uh, yeah. I mean it, I think but, you you always say it with a, a certain form of respect. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't wanna I don't wanna pick on anyone in particular, any group in particular, but they all are visible and the members are wearing that visibility like like titles and you know like like memes yeah yeah totally meme magic but it it is like i mean it gets to me um it really does get to me and you're right i'm in i'm in a place of you know deep magical practice and i keep coming to this idea that like why does it get under my skin why mm -hmm. does this affect me so much it shouldn't um, and I think it just comes from a lot of this ideology from certain things that just shakes down people. I was mm -hmm. talking to uh, a friend on the last episode about, you know, the, the need for doubt in any kind of spiritual belief you mm -hmm. have and how essential doubt is. And these people peddle and everything, but, you know, <laughs> I know. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> Oh, it's so true. Yeah, there's there's a lot of, I hate to say this, and I certainly witnessed it recently. There's a lot of, uh, man, this might sound ugly. There's a lot of herd mentality within the outsiders. Right. You know, <laughs> with and especially in the world of a culture where one should be that whole idea of know thyself and this whole kind of hermitage, this hermit. I mean, this is how one does evolve. And this is where most of the occult studies should take us it, away from, away from uh, group think, away yes, from yeah. participation mystique. And what do we see? We see a lot of that now. 
Yeah. I mean, it's even amazing to me that there's just in an obviously uncredentialed, you know, <laughs> study where there's, you know, exer- experts are just, you know, or practitioners or people that have, you know, read enough books. That's where the knowledge comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, you too can do this. <laughs> like, yes. Well, you know, this was, I was, I was privately talking about on, and this is part, you know, I don't mind saying it in public like this, but mm-hmm. there is most of the teachings anywhere in all the mystery schools came somehow, some way through a sense of channeling, right? Energy. Right. And uh, so this idea, this whole pyramid that's, been built over certain practices is intriguing to me and I say this also as a person who's gone through many different organizations and climbed up various ladders and and reached adiphood and all this and in my search in my journey and in my openness to learn more about myself because this is what it's about uh and I have not found one, air quotes, even though I don't do them in real life, order that offered me anything I couldn't find on my own. The one thing I will say that I really admire, though, in those processes is there is still within some of them this idea of secrecy and this idea of not blaring it out to the world i just got initiated by so-and-so at a private event that i had to pay so much money for you know like that kind of crap we're experiencing these days uh is sickening to me and anything but magical yeah absolutely and i think the beauty of uh, a lot of this you know quote unquote i guess it would be more master apprentice these days but you know back when and under true spiritual practice everyone was a student you know what i mean and like everyone was how many learning times from each did that other. come yeah. up at the white eagle especially how many times i mean that was like the theme for me this weekend is 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 that in particular we should one should never really step out of student role i think they're doing if you're really a seeker and a journeyman spiritually that is that's a that's a that's a cornerstone in your foundation. Right. But, you know, people want to be told a certain <laughs> thing, you know, or they want they want certainty. And I think that's the big thing that bothers me are the people that can give it to them because it's not Mm-mm. not honest. Right. You know, those that rise to power. Right. Yeah. A total <laughs> cliche added, you know, total, um, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's something that in, doesn't not in just in a culture, it happens everywhere. It's just kind of humankind when it comes to that. But It is, but again, once, so when I say journeyman, it is not a sexist thing. I'm clearly a woman and I clearly adhere, you know, I identify as a female, by the way, in this modern world, you know, or a potato chip, whatever. Sure. Uh, and so this idea of pay to play, kind of gets me as well it's it there's something i don't know i've always had a distaste of it i've been in many orders where you know there were monthly dues and and of course then sometimes you get to a certain level and then you know they're laughing like the suckers at this level and under pay and we don't and and i think that the first order i got to is like that i made a adiphood and then 
didn't have to pay. And they were making fun of everyone below that. And they clearly all came up through that was one. And I was in my twenties and that was very eye opening to me. And from that point on, it was this, uh, the thrill is gone yeah. with orders. Although I, I did join many orders since then to get information and learn about myself, as I said, but it seems to be, you shouldn't have to pay dues. People should not have to pay monthly dues that are outside of paying for uh, equipment, space for places for an organization to meet, that stuff. Stuff that's above that when we're talking about the realm of spirituality is is completely, absolutely unethical, in my opinion. Yeah, and maybe, yeah, because even just room and board for the teacher is one thing or, you know. Right, paying for stuff that that is, uh, all of the overhead and all of that is one thing. And then, you know, we see it in Christianity all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm not picking on the occult world. It's all over. Well, Christianity could be a is I think locked into the occult world too, in my opinion. Uh, well, I was going to say, it seems, you know, I don't know. There's something specific about a culture about maybe the kind of old guard of it. That's, you know, Ayn Randian a little mm-hmm. bit. And uh, yeah, you know, it's a little bit like, that's why capitalism works so well with the occult. Cause what do people want? They want mm-hmm. wealth. Right, right. They want love and money. Yeah, exactly. So here's how to get them. You know, <laughs> it's so basic. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing. So those things put me off. And having been initiated a million different ways at this point, good and bad. Oh, so many different experiences. I now have come to the conclusion that it's all bullshit. And I just want to say that loud caps and underlined. And I, I'm sorry to people. I want to extend an apology for people that are really honed in on that and moving through those processes because there's a level of conviction there and moving through it. And I'm, I just have at this point worn out by that and having gone through that, in a few different ways uh just there's not it all seems to in the end be kind of the same and and as you and i have talked about all the information from the mystery schools at this in this day and age is available it's all out there there are free occult libraries there i mean and if you want to buy beautiful books and i do I buy beautiful books. I always buy the best books from, you know, Scarlet Imprint, Zoannan, Ouroboros, all all the great publishers and binders because I find those books sexy and I I like them. And they're art. They are art. Is any of the information new to me? Absolutely none of it's been new. I think the newest piece of information I got in modern publishing has been probably the... uh, which one probably like the dragon book of Essex or something like that from Chumley Chumley's information has oh you just dropped out newest information on the on the market for me 
so yeah i was just naming a specific author and yeah, that's all Chun-Li? right yeah how do you spell that c-h-u-m-b-l-y i'd have to oh okay. god it's this terrible i'm on the spot i, I just have... wanted to make sure it was like one word i can find it andrew chumley yeah. yeah i have everything that zoannan released of his and it's a step away but it's not terrible i read a, i read a book a week i'm a nerd that's awesome yeah i mean i aspire to that i'm usually like two a month well that's still good in this day and age so that's still good i live a monastic life right i'm i'm grateful for it and uh so i have the time to read and i love to read and i do it's part of my praxis yeah i love that me too it's got to be maybe even the heart of it reading and writing you know some, some like exercise outside of it yeah totally can we talk about you know, like I, I was wondering earlier, like a little bit of genealogy. I'd love to hear about some of these experiences you've had that have led you to this monastic lifestyle. Well, you'll have to drive the question. Of course. And I'll be as open as I feel I need to be. So you I think you've said in other interviews that your mother was a bit witchy. Is that Oh, correct? very. Yeah. What yeah, was it like? Absolutely. When did that uh, come into your purview? Like, when... well, okay. So let me give you the genealogy on this. Yeah. On her side of the family is where the Masonic side of my family is. That has a solid Masonic lineage going back to 1100. The paper trail is there. Wow. It's all there. This is not headspace. This is not talking. It's not fronting. It's all there. And uh which is why I chuckle a lot at at how people get all huffed and puffed about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I am personally not one. And uh, and so but you know with in all of that we had the East you know my mom was an Eastern star and an odd fellow and all that and I have the paper trails there. And some of that paper trail is out on the internet because I've taken photos of the beautiful showing like the dues, you know, when my great aunts and grandmothers were the first odd fellows, you know, the dues were a dollar a year in yeah. like 1919 or something. And um, so there are photos of some of the stuff I put out on the internet that are just fascinating old documents that aren't, affecting any modern workings you know right um different grandfathers aprons and and all that stuff silver and stuff from the family and so there's that side i come i come out of that from my mom's side and plus there's also indian blood on her side sack fox so there's this which is i consider kind of folkish Mm-hmm. so and they and i will say like my uncle force is always very proud of that aspect and there's there's a lot of within the magical communities uh with north american indians there's a lot of uh, uh it's a it's a matter of pride for some occultists because oh, yeah. there's there's some RH negative blood there. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a thing there and people can just go down that rabbit hole. So, so the ceremonial stuff is what I'm getting at with the Masonic stuff. The Masons are ceremonial. And uh, so that's all there. And I had a real sense of that growing up with my Elmo, her mother, who, not her mother, her grandmother 
whom I had a relationship with. She died, I think, when I was 13. She was from the, you know, Edwardian period, turn of the last century spiritual period. And I'm sure you heard me talk about her because I loved her. Yeah, I was going to say you kind of adapt some of that style, too. Yes. So, So she had all that ceremonial aspect to her. And I'm sure she... I'm sure there's some church affiliation with her, but I never saw it. I never once encountered a church with these people. Never. I was never drugged to it. Nothing, nothing like that. So I'm sure if you would have asked them, they would have said something. Maybe. I don't know. Right. But it However, wasn't a big deal. It was never brought up. There were no, there was nothing in the house that would suggest it none of it and so but she had really interesting ways in the kitchen and like superstitions that are you know were real real strange you know leaving leaving offerings to nature spirits and stuff it was so just weird or she'd throw out if some milk was bad she'd throw she had a certain way she'd throw it out on into her little garden outside the kitchen window and she had this little um saying about the littles and stuff like that oh yeah and um when she was cooking i remember specifically she was talking to me about uh stirring you know one way or another and stirring in her intent and stuff folkish things like that Uh, also she with chickens feeding chickens prior to uh, getting specific energies out of the eggs. So she, if she had something she was intending on, like say, I don't know, a family get together and it was something to do with, you know, a calm family get together and all that. She would feed them intentional stuff like lavender flowers and, and stuff to get the outcome of the eggs. Right. Stuff like that. That was, folkish that's why i call it folkish what region was this where what part of that that is iowa okay that's iowa and uh so so she had she had that there is all that kind of folkish stuff there too and on top remember this is these are masonic people so there were the lodges and the ritual uh, ceremonial stuff that's tied in there so was that a lot of like intuition on her part I I don't know where it was. I remember she had uh what did she it was like the from it, also she was in this did this was like all about the suffrage movement. Her really her sister Orpha was her name. Her sister was about the who never got married and I think went for some sort of law degree or something, but she never I now I she must have been a lesbian, is what I'm saying. And because uh, she was beautiful and she, she certainly had the opportunity i'm sure but she didn't get married and and was interested in legal stuff and suffrage was a, a conversation and so there's there's that stuff as well i lost track <laughs> oh yeah I was just wondering if like yeah if, the, if there was you know we talked about it being a little bit of intuition but you said that there was 
Oh, the spiritual movement yeah. of the turn of the last century into the 1920s and all that. Right. Yeah, I think that they must have been somewhat informed by that movement that was happening. You know, Blavatsky's happening then. Totally. Sir and, Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, yeah. all of that that became really the modern New Age movement. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there was passively influence there nothing that was blatant and and certainly nothing that would get them shunned or you know they were all in good standing in the community which also was a big deal in the masons i don't know how that is now but it certainly was always a big deal in the masons mm -hmm. uh to have a good standing and the, of course the masonic situations a brotherhood and now it's you know it's co-op but there is they take care of their own there's a whole vow right. in that yeah exactly i mean that's so to me that's what i think masonic has is really just become is a is a fraternal organization well in a lot of ways yes it's and so on the good side yes <laughs> and but on the bad side it's just a click too so but there are some people really bringing back the deep esoteric stuff and i'm sure they've been there all along Mm -hmm. working at the higher orders you know above 33rd 32nd because 33rd and 32nd are so similar and uh working at the different orders some that are known some that aren't and uh so i'm sure that's always been there keats yeah i don't you know i'm not really gonna go there and i don't want the evil eye on me no totally i, I absolutely get it so moving on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what were some of the books that made you branch off at, at a young age into kind of your own seeker isms? Oof, that's hard. I mean, early on. Well, I read, so my mom would give me all these funny, I remember early on, my mom gave me this book, The Witch of Blackbird Pond. And uh, so I had that and worshiped that for a minute when I was very young. And stuff like that, she always gave me, well, mythology first was a big deal. She, My mama was insistent that we learn how to read and write, like, immediately it was like a big deal she really worked with us and uh and there was no baby talk it was trying to educate us fast so we were readers and writers my brother and my cousin and I very early earlier than anyone else as far as I had heard and uh so I was reading pretty heavy stuff at a young age and it, most of it started with early mythologies so that stuff's there, but then she would give me really great fiction stuff like the witch of Blackbird Pond. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then later like, um, you know, weird encyclopedias of the weird and all that kind of stuff. There's a time life series that came out, all the mystical stuff. I have she, those in hardcover. Yeah. Yeah. I have an original set somewhere. Oh, after. that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. In hardcover. Well, that's how they came. And they were like every other month or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so she had all that stuff. She was just very, you know, had that mystical witchy vibe to her anyway. So everything that came my way through her had some sort of witchy vibe was always witchy. And, uh, but as far as actual magic books, Although I want to say, I think the mythology is the core. Uh, yeah. I 
I think I first started, I think I first encountered, geez, what was it? It was something, it was something juicy on her shelf. And I can't, oh, geez, I can't recall right now. But then I got a hold of, uh, I was getting a hold of, like the Golden Bow. Right. And all that stuff that was available in the 70s. There wasn't a lot. And, uh, and of course, then I, I talked about this a lot, so I'm not going to talk about it here. But then when there was not much else, Scott Cunningham was on the shelf. Oh, right. Yeah. So it was enjoy. Although that was nice. I was never into Wicca. I didn't. I was. I've always been put off by the term Wicca and the Wiccans I encountered in the world. Even though I know a lot, uh, I was. I don't know why. There's something about the term and the ones I've encountered in the world that just it weren't me. They just they weren't my tribe. Right. And so, um, but you know, I was reading anything that would come onto the shelf that I could get my hands on. And so Scott Cunningham and uh, Valerie Worth mm-hmm. and people like that, of course, Janet and Stuart Farrow, who became friends of mine in the 80s, late 80s, uh, and, you know, Doreen Valiente mm-hmm. and all those. That stuff started happening in the 80s for me, the Satanic Bible. I lived in San Francisco in the 80s, uh, down across the Visadero on California street, two blocks over. So I was like four blocks from the black house in San Francisco when it was still standing, when Zena was the high priestess. And, uh, and so I, yeah, I have a lot of, I have a lot of good San Francisco stories in this period. And I was a full on out, you know, like I was full on into, you know, I've always been, my friend Stanley Love who just died, tells his friends i'm hearing these stories now because he just died and some of his good friends over the years i don't know were like oh you were the little witches you were the little witch (laughs) oh you know he's telling them when we were little so it's like i've always called myself a witch there was never a time i didn't and so i didn't need books to tell me that and i think right now where i am with this keats is I'm rebelling against all the books, even though I've been informed by them. I just wanted to get there. Yeah. It sounds like, so what you've been talking about, you know, there's something you said earlier that made me, this is something I've been kind of toying with and I've always kind of had uh, a liking to is taking, you know, fiction or taking works of art, uh, especially people's folklore mythology and incorporating that into spiritual practice. Cause What's the difference? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, and and at this point, like we've we've been saying, these things there was a there was a big point when mystery mystery schools served a real purpose, and they really should now if we could <coughs> hone back in on that. But to what you see are orders, and like we started this conversation out, everyone's wearing it you can see i can i can point i can see everyone's titles and badge by the clothing they're wearing and 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 everything people are posting photos on social media of their magical workings in process yeah come on police how neophyte is that yeah that's a good point 
I get maybe posting a photo of your altar, even though I would never do that. Uh, yeah, I used to do that. That was a bad idea. Uh, it's a t- it's terrible. Neophytes the word for it. It's very yeah. Bad. Yeah, I mean, I also like. I uh, was working with Santa Muerte, and I think like at the time it was in my idea that like she wanted more love, you know, <laughs> like she needed, she needed to be seen more. She needed to be. Was well, and the more. thing is, you can give the love without posting right. and working. So, it, like like I said, post uh, photos of the altar that aren't in work at work at that moment. That's that's a different situation. But posting images or video of your spells as they're happening, of right. your working they're happening come on 101 in secrecy (laughs) yeah yeah so what are some other things that you've seen that are big no-nos as far as you're concerned in social social media age you know yeah i mean i don't want to i'm not that person out there saying no no but i'm also saying this is shows where you are on the on the path i think yeah and uh it so it's not no-nos. It's just stuff I find repugnant. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I would almost choose no-no over that. I know I wanted to use that word. <laughs> That's a good one. It's so 70s horror. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, there's a lot. There's a lot. You know, it's it's funny. Like, for example, there are people I've known, and you've, you've seen me in person. It's not like I'm hiding... I'm, I've always been authentic to myself and uh, have a sense of self and you, you can't really pinpoint it, but you know, it's different and you know, it's probably witchy, right? Oh yeah. And so, but I'm not at the same time, I'm it's, not, it's not in, loud or like, I'm not ever, I don't have a big gigantic pentagram yeah. on and um, it, it, it's loud in its own way, but it's not in an eccentric way. It's this idea that I'm seeing on social media too, like this whole, how to be a witch thing and showing, showing or how to be whatever uh, this type of occultist or that type of occultist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it doesn't even matter how to be a golf player. You have to have this clothing on. And I, I, I feel like at some point people need to transcend out of that and move beyond the identity with the physical realm to to find a deeper layer of consciousness that is bubbling and turning i get the idea of the sexy part of the occult it's always been a major draw it's a major draw for most people with heavy pluto placement you know it is it's definitely dark and sexy and i think it should remain dark and sexy and not crude and gross and overexposed there should be veils one should have veils i don't want to see your nude ass i want to see you dancing in veils give me scheherazade right okay yeah i mean seriously it's uh no yeah i dig that it's like presents a mystery what happened to the heir of mystery the sea priestess from dion fortune and uh i mean it's it's there the mystery's there and to preserve it and to present it in such a way is part of the sacred act of it 
and honors it, the rest is just crude, in my opinion. And I hate to be this harsh, but it's just overwrought. It's like fast food for the occultism's fast food now. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And that's why it was so refreshing to talk to you when we met and just kind of vent about this stuff because, yeah, it is unmistakably uh, inauthentic. Totally. It's the look, the look of the facsimile. Yeah. And and this well, this is why I just adore you because you're one of the people that's vocal about this, right? It, it, some people you'll get. I hear I have this con. This conversation's been churning in me for a minute. You know, it's it's been a minute, and I'm talking about it. But I hear people saying to me privately, right? Right. I think it's just because they conceive it as still such a small group. Maybe when we're radical for speaking like right, that. Exactly. And it's like, that's not the case at all. I mean, I mean, honestly, it's the wheat from the chaff kind of idea when mm-hmm. it comes to that. And I'm just I'm not really worried about the facsimiles and what they think I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Yes. Yeah. Well, real practitioners are really practicing. Real magicians are doing real magic and and that's happening you bet your ass it is and and so they're out there and and you know thankfully they we're out there and it doesn't it doesn't i'm i'm not suggesting that there, there was a time in my life let me put it this way there was a time in my life and in my mother's life and in my grandmother's life when you couldn't show or be Oh, you dropped out. Still there. Yeah, there you are. In my mother's life, because she was a child of the 60s, you know, uh, one of those, that you're starting to be able to come out. In the spiritual movement, you could a little bit, but it was still like dress. People were, they had to hide it. So it was like closet occultism, or you had to hide it through respectable orders that had a surface. And then there's behind the scenes stuff. And so now that it's not a taboo, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, rock out with your cock out kind of mentality. And wear it and, for a day, see how it fits. Right. And so, and, and I'm, I, I think I'm all, I'm all right. I know a lot of real practitioners that are completely eccentric, but you wouldn't, it's not like in a vague way you you know that they're practicing practicing magic yeah but they're not they're not facsimiles they're authentic and we you and i both know a lot of people like that i'm one of them you're one of them you can see that there's something going on there well and let me just i want to clarify i i know you're one of them but i think one of the big things with me is that i've realized the more i learn about this you know the more i do of this stuff the less i actually know so I'm not really coming from a place of, you know, I'm, I know better. I'm coming from a place of, I was where you are and that's not the path. I think if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. it does make sense. And the point I'm making here is I know some people that look like you wouldn't question that this is a practicing magician right. and they, that are real magicians that are real, real, real. And so they uh no matter what are 
real deal. And I, I, I don't, I'm not going to drop names, but there's, you know, um, there's one in Portland that's really famous here and he's got an amazing pedigree and you will not question him. <laughs> he's oh, yeah. the, but he is the real deal, real deal to the core, most intense magician I know. And, uh, and you, you wouldn't question him. I think yeah. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. And so, I mean, he's famous yeah. and, uh, he's the real deal so but there's also nobody else who's gone to the extreme level in which he has in his praxis i think to even i mean he owns it and so he's in his own league it is it's the facsimiles we're talking about so i just want to keep i keep reiterating this keats because I, I feel it needs to be, I don't want to offend the real cultists we know and love that are, that are still kind of presenting as that, present as it, absolutely present as it. Right. I'm talking about the hot topic people. I'm talking about, you know, the, the gorgeous goddesses and <laughs> the the witches of Instagram. <laughs> yeah, so Lord. It's these people, and so I, I just I constantly feel like I need to hone that in. Yeah, I love it though. I, I really appreciate you just, you know, saying it because I think in a lot of ways you've been able to in like different podcasts on Nox Mente and and uh, Cruising with Steak, other places I've heard you. You, you've been able to touch on it, but you haven't been able to really you know rant rant about it and like that's what got me so excited it was like yes i want to hear that what give me more yeah it's uh yeah so so there's there's all that and i feel like now with the occult so just driving in on this state of culture i feel like a lot of people that are and don't mistake anything i'm saying here if you go down the road, the path, you go down the path. And so it behooves you to understand what the hell you're doing, because this is not, this is real. This is real business. So you can go down it thinking, you know, uh, I look gorgeous in a, in a hot topic, you know, bathing suit with my really cool occult tattoos and my dyed hair uh and you start practicing magic well you're practicing magic and that's it's going to happen so you better learn what you're doing fast Mm -hmm. and uh because magic is real and affecting our environment through manipulating it is very real and uh then summoning on entities is very real and so this is where I've I've talked about in other places where you do need to do the time and do the self work and do the reading. And some people do need these structures. They need these hierarchical structures where they're getting formal initiations to move through the process. I honor that a hundred percent. And I think that a lot of people need to get that. So the, the, the whole solitary movement, whereas it's beautiful and good. And that's definitely where I am at this point. Uh, I still understand the laws of nature. I understood them before, but I really understood them when I started to get into different practices of magic. Uh, And so 
I am very respectful of these energies and understand the power of banishing (laughs) and the power of creating your circle, cutting you out from the collective and the power of a triangle and putting something in that. And, you know, we could go down the magical realm and talk about any of that, but it's all out there. I have been in the, I have been in the presence of people that just started calling in all manner of things without even cutting an imaginary circle in their head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm, man, you know, this, the wind is a spirit. I, I mean, the, the... right. I mean, yeah, I think, uh, was it Dr. St- Stephen Skinner, the Enochian? Oh guy? yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. He was, he, I remember him mentioning that. It's like, you're about to do magical work and you didn't shower. You know <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. You did. <laughs> oh, that's just the beginning. You didn't shower, and yeah. you didn't, you know, put on put on a little bit of coverage over your most delicate of whatever. Exactly. You know? Yeah, it's like you're presenting yourself to this, you know, <laughs> wondrous unseen force, and you're gonna go looking like <laughs> you, know, you just rolled out of bed. Don't give a shit. They're not gonna listen to you. And this even goes for the the really super soft stuff, like say the friendlier stuff, like the Jupiter, the Venus stuff, you know, calling in and doing some love stuff. You still need to, there still needs to be respect there. It's intent, right? Yeah. It's like you go through like every part of it with intent. You got to like, everything has got to be a ritual in in and of itself. Yeah. Well, and you know, I can't remember who it was. Uh, Oh, geez. Who was it? It was somebody, because it's not my own, but I've been saying it for years, but it was somebody who said it to me in person. It might've been someone like, it was a Wiccan for sure. It might've been someone like Selena Fox or someone way back in the day, but that a thought is a spell, right? And we know this. Yeah. So, and the whole, and that whole idea, but at the time I was quite young, you know, this is the 80s. I was, I was young and the sinking into that idea at that time really made sense to me in a different way, having someone say it to me from, from that stance, from that standpoint. And, uh, and so now I, I've said it over the years many times because there's so many people that are, are professing magic, this and that, and how, how they're doing it. And then you listen to their language and you look into their lives or you observe what they're doing and you think, man, you know, basic, a thought is a spell. Thought forms Mm -hmm. brought into physical manifestation through words. This is a, a high act of magic and we need to, well, I observe, I observe how that plays out. And so sloppy magicians get sloppy results if not destruction yeah i mean and to be quite honest you know i've i've been through that heavy i've Mm -hmm. definitely you know uh, i don't know i think i was i was uh doing more to break down and it worked that way but it broke more down than maybe i necessarily needed at the time or i thought but yeah and i can trace it back to just being very careless i think 
in the beginning. But at least you learned in a good way. I mean, some people are, are summoning Astaroth. And, right. That's no. <laughs> and, and they're being sloppy in those ways. It's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you're on a, you're on a different level here, babe. <laughs> yeah. It's even just like, if you have the, to me, it's like base psycholo- psychology in the sense that if you think you're summoning, you know, some immense unseen power from another place, and you're ready for it, that scares me more than you actually doing it in a way. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. And then understanding the difference between invoking and evoking and SO and XO. Right. And some of this stuff that you hear in the sloppy language from people. I was looking at an Instagram famous, per, Instagram famous, I want to say that. But, you know, they had like, I don't know geez 50 to 100,000 followers which may not be that big but it's huge since I have like 120 or something and I have like 100 maybe I don't even know and I'm the I have a lineage and uh and so it was you know this cute girl very cute and all the language around all of it is just so damning like that it's it's I, I I just one post after another, and I'm looking at it, going, "Whoa, you know the pi- the pictures are all beautiful and pretty and staged and all the little filters, and and she is beautiful and presenting, you know, her kind of, I guess, Sabrina esque type witch witch image, and and then teaching, te- like teaching. Te- she's got a website and she's teaching, and and. And I'm 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 looking at her language on her casual posts, and I'm reading the language on the casual posts, and I'm like, man, you know, not not a witch, not a witch, right? So you're you're this is your casual side, and you're presenting this kind of language, and then you're teaching. You have all these people following you, and you're telling people how to do this and that magically, and somehow the people that are following you aren't putting this together. And you're doing a disservice. Yeah. So this this brings up a good point. We've talked about this too. With that is that um, these you know there's people and there's people I know that are are doing classes or you know um, are, are teaching kind of to the general public or really whoever will pay. And yeah, right. People do pay. But <laughs> There's a sucker around every corner, yeah, as the old carnies used to say. If they're teaching things that they don't necessarily necessarily believe in. It's almost like they're getting paid to intentionally spread bad magic on their behalf. It's almost yes. diabolical, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's beyond irresponsible. Yeah, but it's like the you know they don't believe in the magic they're about to teach, or they don't. They don't care for it. They don't think it's a big deal. So I just wonder, like, if you're starting out your journey with a teacher that's, you know, teaching you something they really could give two shits about, like, they're setting you on a really long and arduous journey. Yeah. And there is something to, and as you said earlier, there's baptism by fire. We all go through it. We all make mistakes to learn, but make the lesser mistakes, you know, before you summon, you know, uh, Paymon, you know, (laughs) learn how to have a relationship with maybe the seven planets (laughs) work planetary magic. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) And, And then you can go into the goetic stuff. And if that's what you're so called to do. 
Uh, but it, even dealing with the earth spirits and earth and elementals, I get back to it. Uh, the wind to me is a deity. It's a deity. Yeah. It's a deity. It's a sentience there. I do not care what science is trying to wrap around that or not. I call the winds and I do it respectfully and I get the winds without fail. It, it works every single time. And, and just working with natural elements and understanding uh, waves of being. And, you know, other people talk about this, like the spirit of place. That's a big deal, too. Yeah. You know, it, it's and this ties into the whole cryptid universe of like the Bigfoot, Sasquatch stuff, it, all this. You know, these things don't want you hunting them like what the hell right why are you hunting if they clearly wanted to be seen they would be seen yeah i absolutely agree and i totally get what you mean yeah and that traps so i mean when we're talking this bigfoot's as real as paimon or uh you know any of them bigfoot's as real as anything else anyone's conjuring which is hilarious to me that people can from the occult world laugh about the cryptid world it it, it just it makes me laugh right. because yeah. you stand back far enough or up far enough or below far enough you start seeing that this is all the same stuff these are energetic uh, signatures in our universe that we're experiencing people experience them and the more people experience something the more psychic energy gets tied into it the more people talk about it the more psychic energy gets tied into it and they grow they become fed it's the uh, egregore or like yeah the thought forms that and i do believe that to a degree i mean uh, i call it the freddy krueger principle Right? Yes, <laughs> that's a great example. Yeah, it's like the more everyone collects. And I think that's why to bring it back to, say, the guru culture and occultum, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, that's you're getting people to basically maybe charge your sigils in a way. <laughs> uh, well, in the end, I'm definitely seeing that. And uh, there is... So on this, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, the controversy of it, uh, I think there's a sad underbelly rising of the cult of personality, right? Cult Mm -hmm. of personality. It's always there. It's always there. But there is something about that that's turning me off on a way deeper level than young people and and young doesn't mean age young people with with the occult i don't care how old you are just people newly getting into it sure uh neophyte uh then there's these people that actually understand it and are adept for sure and true magicians that are taking advantage of that aspect and uh there's something in ethic there's something just that just bothers me on an ethical level it, it comes to the carny mentality about there's the goal of the carny was always to separate this joe from his the five dollars in his pocket right yeah, that's yeah. that's the carny mentality and uh so 
and at least you expect this with a carny, right? You, that's, you go in knowing that like a casino, the house always wins. Mm-hmm. You go in knowing these odds. So the guru culture is more sinister because they're somehow coming from a place seemingly that appears above that and uh, justifying justifying their separation of this person from their money or their energetic flow, their life force. And uh, that's nefarious. Oh yeah. And, um, and they're out there in all forms and they're all over. And so it's, it's interesting to watch, you know, we're watching some people rise to power right now, Keats. And so, (laughs) and I'm just, I'm, I'm just look standing back going, okay. Yeah. Seen this Here we before. go. Yeah. Seen it before. And every time I've seen it before, it hasn't ended well either. And we can look at Crowley as an example of that. Right. It did not end well for him, even though, you know, I mean, he's still worshipped and adored. And he certainly, certainly, certainly puts, he really contributed to the greater uh, well of stories and praxis and all that. And, and, you know, I think in the end, for me, he's the last of the great showman, because he's a showman that was doing a lot of a lot of work that I think was valuable. But for me, the Book of Lies is his best work. Uh, so I'm I'm watching it now. I'm watching a few people come to power. One patreon at a time yeah <laughs> <laughs> one premiere that's a good point and then yeah. at it at a time yeah i was gonna say and then there's you know there's there's people kind of enticing on metaphysics too not necessarily in the culture world you know like jordan peterson right Yes, Jordan Peterson's whole thing is like almost bringing a mythology or a religiosity back into, you know, the young adult male life or whatever. That's like the the crudest uh, explanation I've I've ever given him. But, you know, there's there is this need and this penchant, something happening in the air of people kind of turning towards a bit more of the unseen um and their daily lives or this need for faith and this like displacement as well and i see it just being encroached in politics and culture and art you know i just see it getting uh, we'll look at it oh yeah and art for real yeah we'll look at like programs so separate from from all this but also tied into like kind of self the self-empowerment movement right. and all that. The Estes, Estes program that turned into like landmark cult, the landmark cult. Uh, right. So I, you know. I mean, we people, saw that happen with like, you know, new thought or that former iteration of new thought. Yeah. yeah. So there's the people that are getting separated from their money basically and brainwashed or indoctrinated in, but they're going in with 
the best intent. I want, I want to learn more about, I, I know there's something more out there. I've had this series of synchronicities or uh, dreams. I, I'm just looking for more in life and more out of life. And they start, they fall in to these orders. So they may have read someone's book and then that someone has, you know, has more to offer and there's more paid to play. This is no different than a dime store gypsy selling you snake oil. Okay. And uh, whereas that gypsy knows what she's doing because you're buying her wares or his wares. Mm -hmm. You're you're going and getting those consultations, right? Right. And uh, and so it's just feeding on the masses that that is is terrible and there is this sense of i deserve it that and the sense of entitlement where i deserve time for money and all this that whole thing and i i see this in the overpriced art world too as an artist as a working artist you know i have a i have a real problem i i never i always underprice myself it's terrible because i feel this I feel really, I, I can't, I keep, I cannot charge absurd amounts of money for right. my really well done handmade stuff I've done in paintings and, 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 and fiber arts. As, and I say that looking at the world of arts and being an artist for so long and looking around at glued stuff when I'm hand sewing. And I mean, just, I could go, I could rant about art all day. And I have a show where I'm talking about that. <laughs> anyway, so it's the same in the spiritual movement and in the metaphysics world where there are people taking advantage of the fact that people are searching for more. And the disservice it does in the end for the whole culture is it brings in a backlash and we see this backlash in the culture movement anyway. It brings in a backlash. So enough people get swindled in by, by crap and are something that was good, is built good. There's secrets there that need to be had, but they're, you know, if you can't pay now, you're not going to make it. Right. If you, you get in now where you tap that, or if you don't pay this month, you lose your whole access to this whole form or this, you know, thing and you've been paying two years or you've gotten up to like say you know whatever degree and you you've fallen on hard times because your magic's not working and uh and i say that as a joke uh but you've fallen on hard times for whatever reason and you can't pay i have been i've been a member in organizations where that has happened and they lose complete status complete access and have to come back in and work their way back up mm -hmm. and to me that is complete and utter I can't even find a word harsh enough for that. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it, it's, it's sad because spirituality is something you can't give someone. You can't teach it. You can't, this is again, 
one of those things where we need, this is the self work. We need to do the work on our own. In the end, the work is on your own. You birth on your own. It could be said the mother's involved and yes, and you die on your own. And it could be said the mother's involved there too, but outside of it, you're doing the work, you know, and uh, this is an important aspect to all magical work. It's why the hermit is important. It's why the hermitage is important. It's why the monastic, and I'm saying that not as a Christian, right. the, the time alone and spent with yourself is important. This is where you get the real initiations from self into understanding these other realms. You have to learn how to to understand your body get lucid in your dreams learn how to breathe learn how to be still just still and quiet quiet your mind i mean these are things that will that will start to inform you when you encounter shysters yeah. out there shysters promising initiations and secret rights and all that that may appeal to the sexy side of you, but they're not actually, it's outer world stuff that's doing nothing for your inner world growth. Yeah, I absolutely agree. That was profound, actually. <laughs> I was going to say- You got you, me in a ranting mood. <laughs> no, I, lo I love that. Um, I was going to say, uh, there's something to learning rituals where the outcome is to figure out which ritual you need to do. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. So yes. it's it's those it's those like ultra baby steps in a way, because I think it might be safe to say anyone that's uh, willing to pay X amount of money, uh, you know, to go learn some kind of one hundred and one basic thing, um, doesn't know what they want, and they don't know what they want to do with the knowledge. They might think they do, but I think nine times out of ten, once you start embarking on that path, it's very different from what you thought you did. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of donations, so I'm not anti-money. Right, not right, right. I like the idea of donations. When people start parsing it out, this is, you know, you're going to, you're paying this much for this much. You know, like 15 minutes and this is it. And they cut you off and cheap tarot readings and all that shit. And, you know, I was reading tarot in the 80s and had been studying it since, a, you know, I'd, a very long time. I had I knew tarot at a very young age. I got tarot deck and book was gifted uh, a fantastic book and a tarot deck at a very young age and got on board with that, with the astrology and all that and was giving good readings at a young age. I still, at that point, was just doing donations, and I did it for years. Right. And uh, because I got a sense of morality with the idea of pay me what you think this is worth and what you can afford. So if you can't afford $25 for a tarot reading and you're giving me $25 because you need sort of external guidance somehow and it's like your last $25 how can you ethically take that right I just never could do it Keats I could not do it and there's a point when I just stop and of course I always I read tarot for free all the time 
to friends and stuff. I do big spreads and I get into it and, and we'll write out big sheet, you know, pages of, of stuff that comes through and photos. And this is, this is for friends or people really in need and it's for free. This is a service I will do, you know, sparingly, don't get me wrong. And some people have taken advantage of it. Where right. it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is, it goes across the whole board with this stuff. And, you know, from tarot up to, to altars 101 or working with Jupiter, you know, like it, it's, I like the idea of writing a book and making money off your book and doing tours, talking about your book. That all seems legit to me. Yeah. Uh, it, I think with tarot and astrology, there should be, especially these days when you can pull up any generator on tarot. Yeah. I was going to say, everyone knows how to do birth charts. Every, and tarot readings now. It's all free <laughs> online. I mean, uh, Astrolada has the most intense, fantastic free service right. on her page that gives you her every week for, this is for free. You can pay to unlock like a year, but every week for free, it just goes day by day, opens another day. And it's a week slot where it's your your personal aspects you you load into it your birth information so it has your birth chart and it gives you your specific aspects for each day for a week for free forever it's the best service i've ever seen it's absolutely free you don't need any more than that that's what a professional astrologer would give you and so yes you can pay through astrolata to get readings and all that from other people and they can synthesize the information for you but it's it's there so these services are out there and and so the people that are taking advantage of this I've known astrologers that would get like solar fire or Kepler. This is when I was studying with Ina Stanley and, and when she was first running online, uh, online. Oh, geez. What is it? I posted a picture of the CDs. It's that old, uh, online. Oh, I have to post it's like AOL to, or, Oh, geez. It was, um, I've got the CD over here. It was the it was the precursor to Kepler University, and she was on the board of that. Robert Hands on the board. Like it's okay. the, it's really it's these are sensational people, and uh, so I you know we had to as uh, I w I went through that to get certified because I was certainly into astrology way before that. My whole life I've been into it, and uh, so I, you know I I thought okay I'm gonna formally do this to get get certified and Ina Stanley's goal was getting it accredited through universities and the whole thing that Kepler turned into and so you had to get solar fire solar fire or Kepler or whatever and I ended up getting Kepler and some of the friends some of my friends that were getting this software were doing so in it you get the canned stuff you put in the information you get the canned readings they were literally selling the canned readings, not doing the synthesizing work for, you know, this is back probably like the turn of the century, 2005 in there, maybe uh -huh. 2001. Uh, and, and selling those canned readings for like a hundred bucks where they just entered their information and would sell that. And I, it was like, man, this is, you're not even looking at their stuff. You're entering the information and giving them the printout. 
Like, how ridiculous does that keep? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's to me, that's they ju- they're just going to keep synthesizing it to make it more of a racket. And it's, it's totally a racket. Yeah. And so, so as a real astrologer, and back when I first learned, you had to have the, you had to cast out your circle. You had to get your compass out and draw a circle and quarter it. You had to look at all the degrees. You had to cast a real chart. And, and in the charts that you're given people, they were, you had to hand write the house, the planets. And um, a lot of times astrologers back in those days would work on cassette tapes. They would do on cassette tape. And um, this was the real deal. This was the real deal. And still a lot of those were doing donations, but some of them weren't, at least it was, you were getting a real reading though. So there's something mercenary about, yeah, about going by donation with in particular tarot and astrology it just makes me roll my eyes these days and i've had a lot of discussions with uh tarot readers you know about the five dollar tarot reading and how much you feel like you should convey for five dollars and you know my point of reference here is the amount of money attached to it should not dictate what you actually say. So what you, yeah, you should say whatever you you feel or read the card comes out, read it honestly. And instead of, Oh, if you want a deeper reading, you know, $25. And (laughs) I mean, come on. Yeah. That's like old school huckster. Like, oh, oh you're going to want to know what this last card is, but I'm going to need another 10 spot. Yeah. It's carny. It's carny <laughs> all the way. And so, yeah. And again, everyone reads tarot these days. Everyone reads yeah. astrology. And it's surprising to me, though, that there is a game to it. Like, oh, I really feel major. that like it's it seems like the market is over flooding with tarot readers like everywhere. There's now a tarot reader at every coffee shop, at every show that you play you know there's every like there's just one for there's a friend or someone in some nebulous circle that's always doing it and yet somehow it's still working for them oh yeah people are always going to want to know i want to mention his online college of astrology that was what ina stanley started Oh, okay and because it just came you know when i was doing uh, when i was out touring doing the tarot thing I was doing it like, I remember early raves, I'd get hired to go belly dance with my snake and then come off the platform from belly dancing and do tarot readings. And uh, <laughs> it well, well, it was kind of, these are early days of raves when raves first started. It was mm-hmm. so fun. And so I was like, I, because at that time I was, not a lot of people were dancing with a snake. And I was also doing, I had learned a few different forms of dance at that point i've always been a dancer and i had my own thing going but as i've seen now in the world they call it tribal fusion or something it's got a name now it's i got a tm name right and uh and it's got like a grandmother to it and all this it's like okay but this was in the ethers and people that were into temple dancing and and egyptian belly dancing and traditional syrian dancing and the uh, dances, uh, the various dances of the Middle East, like I was, were putting this together and doing it, and we weren't calling it anything. It was just, it was just what it was. And I just happened to throw a snake in, and I've always loved adorning myself in beautiful jewelry. 
So, uh, but it became a movement. Now it's got a TM. It's got like a grandmother who invented it. And, uh, you know, and it's like the backstory of, yeah, (laughs) that started like, I think a decade after I was out publicly doing it, getting hired to do it and and at ritual venues and stuff. And, uh, and not just me, I'm not the only one. There are other girls doing it too. So I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the grandmother. I'm not. There were countless other people doing, mixing up the methods. So the fact that it's, that whole thing happened and that's a good example with the occult too it's like this people are trademarking stuff that should not be trademarked and regurgitating any magician practicing right now keeps owes someone else yeah i yeah absolutely nothing's new on the table oh absolutely i mean i think that's what irks me the most (laughs) it's like the up- this is, you need to call this rant session by oh, the will. end of this. I'm going to call this rants. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, it, it just, it's the repackaging of kind of universal ideas. And at this point, I would consider a lot of them to be universal because a lot of them are just so like apparent in every yeah, different faction of spirituality. And you're basically being paid to be a curator, you know? And that, that's what yes. these people are. They're like yeah. curating coincidence a lot of times. Too. Yes, absolutely. Well, this is the thing. This is the thing is that no matter what, people are questioning and, and at an alarming rate now. And I think this is why, aside from, well, Pluto's movement, obviously, but people are questioning the people are asking themselves there's got to be more to what's going on than you know getting up and going to work every day paying for this bill going to bed going out to a movie here and there going out to drink here and getting up and paying you know the slavery of our daily lives and which is getting worse so people are starting to question that and starting to come to and this is the real conversation for me in general in my life is the idea of immortality and long lives because when we're talking short lifespan you don't have a lot of time it's easy that the old school indoctrination of work till you're 65 retire and then go travel and do the stuff you love that i think the boomers are the last to really involve themselves in that kind of thing I mean, I certainly see Gen Xers participating in it, yeah. but I think, you know, the millennials, like your generation are really stepping away from it. Oh, we're fucked. Uh, well, but you're fucked in a good way because uh, there's enough, enough of you that, that when it comes down to it, when the, when the needle hits the record, there's going to, it's going to create something new. And you see, we need to get out of the slavery. And this is what the millennials are saying. But what I mean is, like, I don't think we know enough trades. I don't think we have enough actual skills that... I Oh, yeah, I get you. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what went wrong with the apprentice programs and st- actually studying something worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, how many people... Back in the old days... I totally got off my other rant. But back in the old days, the it was the aristocratic person that had the luxury of studying. Well, first of all, education is not what it was in the old, old days. Only the extreme elite got 
a full-on well-rounded education in in all the arts and all this and then but in modern history in like through the 1900s keats are you there hello yeah i'm here uh in the late 1800s in modern history it was those people that were in the upper class that could afford to have like art or education degrees and like kind of the more humanities stuff and uh because there's not really they could afford to do that and not not have to be they're not part of the slave system and so now you see with education there's a huge everyone's an artist right Right. everyone's an occultist everyone's an artist everyone is broke (laughs) you know (laughs) like but but every but you know by god there's a million great painters in the world now and uh and so we lost track of the 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 apprentice programs with actual art with trades, real trades, and uh, that could that could in some way benefit a person coming out of a system such as a school, a schooling system that they had to participate in to for the betterment of their life. And now just the general education, which is all indoctrination, as you know, right. uh, system is no one's getting any real, anything real out of it. It's at a huge slant at most universities. So you're getting, you're getting people's, you're getting a lot of political slant. Uh, and, you know, I think that that the political stuff has its place in, in, I mean, there were poli sci classes back in the day, and that's where it stayed. <laughs> and yeah. you, know, you had art classes, and but then you had like math and and sciences and biology. You had all this other stuff that what didn't all have a political slant. Now everything does, and uh, and and so people are coming out with useless degrees and a political slant and and i'm talking young and so it's like i don't even know to get a real political slant i think you actually need to have a little more experience in living life yeah so because up until a certain point you're kind of just regurgitating what other people are telling you and then if you've gone through a system of indoctrination you're definitely regurgitating because you've been programmed and uh and then everyone that's gone through the art degrees art schools blew up here in the last decade there's so many and it's like there's a like i said a million artists around every corner and it's it's overwhelming this is why i don't show anymore this is why i don't you know i'm i'm not having it in those ways anymore because there are and there's really terrible artists everywhere but you know bless their hearts for being creative if they're being created for the right reasons or even if they are it's so easy now to create you know the tools are there without you don't have to have much skill to do it anymore. <laughs> right. Oh man, that's a whole different subject. But yeah. well, I get overwhelmed by how many great so I more I'm more overwhelmed by how many great artists there are working because they did go through a system and learned real tools 
in 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 specific arts and if or the or just the creative people that are creative no matter what and their stuff's all high they have a sense of quality and a sense of craftsmanship and pride within the work i'm overwhelmed because there's a great deal of those people out there but there's just as many terrible terrible artists out there that are selling and making money and it's you encounter their stuff and it's like you know hot glue this or i mean i don't know i could deconstruct all day all day long and behind this whole argument though of saturation which is what it is Mm -hmm. the saturation problem uh is is the idea of i do at the core think everyone needs to one of the keys to unlocking a higher state of consciousness is tapping into your creative self so i'm 100 percent one of those people that is saying yes this is an essential aspect to evolve to transcend to to find a deeper meaning out of life is get creative and allow yourself that space but if you are and then this whole like snowflake thing where you're you're scribbling some terrible pastels on a piece of writing paper where the, the it's not even going to hold up for three years and you don't know anything about adhesives and all this and you're selling it for five to twenty five dollars under the guise of art and you're making money you're bringing the whole situation down too and then that becomes the leading focus of everyone's like well we're supporting this you know look at this person's work we're supporting this you know bless their heart for being uh creative those people the enablers are doing them no good and you see these people on instagram and on twitter i see them all the time because art is always the first thing i click when you sign up for something and so i'm my feeds are always filled with stuff like that and people making money doing that and i'm thinking okay so they're getting creative but now they're just doing it to make another five dollars and so the creativity actually is gone the muses have left the building and they're just trying to get that next five to twenty five dollars for a shitty piece of work yeah it's so funny you bring up that that confluence i mean the whole point of this podcast is the confluence between art and I would say metaphysics, occult is just an easy, easier word. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an umbrella. Yeah. So, and, you know, one thing that really drew me to your work, especially your video stuff, is that I can see that confluence pretty glaringly in a great way. You know, um, it's almost like I love this is to me, this is what the crux of the podcast is, is talking to people who are very almost devout to their own spiritual metaphysical path, but are still you know, pragmatic uh, artists and creators and people that yeah. people that channel, right? And not mm-hmm. just talk or pontificate, but actually practice and create. Yeah, I've all my, especially with my time arts, which is what I call the, all the video stuff. It's all free. There's no paywall with it. It's all downloadable. It's all usable. I've heard, I've gotten feedback that there's been some of my music in Russian discos. <laughs> That's all. I was going to say, there's like, there's some cool, like coil throbbing gristle aspects. Yeah. Well, I come it, right I up out it. of that school. Yeah. Yeah. I so, love it. I mean, I'm that age too. These are my peers. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but not only that, if you get in person with my paintings, 
I, I'm a real painter, I, but I did study, I did formally study painting since mm -hmm. I was, I don't know, 15 or something. I like formally studied it in two different colleges of both of which I dropped out, uh, and one art school here, PNCA. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm a good painter. I know I'm a good painter and my stuff stands out. And when you get in person with my paintings, it's not thin or skimpy. It's, it's real. I encourage people to touch everything I make. Oh, cool. Uh, and then all my embroidery, which I did do professionally for a while in the fashion industry, uh, is the real deal. There's no glue. You see beads on something I did. It's embroidered in. It's not glued. I've encountered that. I've encountered glued on beadwork. Keats. Yeah. It's just so uh, am I like, dazzled. Yeah. <gasps> How can this be? And uh and 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 if I've sewn something and I'm not putting down people who use sewing machines, I get it. I understand cottage work. I get it. I get it. I get it. But I'm just one of those people who likes to hand sew. So I hand sew everything is hand sewn and I still am charging less when I do it and when I've when I've done that. Way less than stuff that's like being pushed out kind of mill like right right and and here's just like some real stuff uh you know i could go on and on and on it's just a matter of encountering the work in person i like to see people's art i like to get up close to it i like to observe it i like to touch it and uh I'm one of, I'll, I buy art. I buy other people that are, I buy stuff that people make. Mm -hmm. I support other artists. And, you know, like I just got that ring from JJ from Rende Blanc. Amazing ring. You know, she's a working artist creating real stuff. It's not crazy expensive. And uh, it's unbelievable work. Meanwhile, next to something like this is going to be some crap that someone bought that was mass produced in China. Right. And, uh, and usually on an occultist hand because I'm drawn to the unusual jewelry. And so I'll be sitting there with something that was handmade for me by a, an intense, intense artist that understands balance and color and all this and create it with their own sweat. And then, you know, I'll be sitting next to one of these facsimiles of an occultist with a hot topic ring on and, and, and who will come up and ask questions about magic or art and stuff. It's always going to be the meme next to me. Right. You surprised at how often I will not be approached on these subjects because I'm not advertising it. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not advertising that, it. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah, it's that's pretty apparent to me that people would, you know, I don't know. It's not you're not you're not advertising it. It's not something no. that I don't think if anyone well really actually looked into it, they it'd probably be obvious in a lot of ways, you know. Well, yeah, of course, with ice at sea, but it's still just like, right, you know, I experienced this, I did experience this real recently, wink, wink, uh, <laughs> where there I am, you know, a lifelong occultist, and is, is sitting there really exalted in my own process. I, I live like a hermit, I, I'm, I'm the real deal, as far as like, inward study, and and a 
not a facsimile. And I was listening to people next to me that were just like two years in answering deep questions. And I'm listening to, because I'm an, I'm an observer in the end and I like to listen to other conversations. Right. That's listening to all this bollocks come out of some of these people that were like, Oh, I just started practicing two years ago. And, and uh, I mean, just spewing out like secretive stuff, like higher level stuff. So they got their hands on good books and they're just spewing out this conjuration and that conjuration. And I'm chuckling inwardly. Yeah. Oof thinking oh my god and then looking at the you know looking at the hot topic jewelry and (laughs) i have been a wicked tongue today no it's great no and i you know this stuff i think needs to be serviced i think there's a lot of fear uh and within this community and like we were saying earlier a little bit that uh people don't want to kind of say something and i think that might be like we were talking about it comes from we we are on this path of knowing ourselves and we kind of respect everybody else's journey. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, of, co- of course we must. Yeah. And uh, so there's a large part of that. But there's also a part of when your praxis, as you'd say, is like becoming sort of goofballed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's the, and you know, we understand the process of you learn by teaching that whole chain, right? right. And this is a big deal. It, like when I was teaching tarot classes, I, I thought I went in and this is again, late eighties. I thought I went into the first time I was teaching at my temple in Des Moines, uh, the temple of the goddess. I thought I was coming from, I'd been practicing for a very long time doing private tarot readings and all that, as I've already talked about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was throwing together little tiny classes, you know, just very select few people and uh, not big. And I thought I would, I went into that thinking that I knew everything that, you know, we all, this is an example of, we all go through this. Right. So I went in thinking, I really know tarot mm-hmm. and, and I, I think by even teaching tarot, you kind of come from a place of that. And so, or teaching anything, you kind of come from a place where I think I know this well enough to teach it. Right. And so I think, you know, I, I, I was in that mode and I realized real fast into that, that I had a couple students that came in. I don't want to call them students, they're peers. And they start, they were questioning me and interacting. And of course they knew more than me. And these were these, you know, I think I got tests. I think it was a test from the universe right? (laughs) because they started pointing out new information in a very beautiful and loving way. I might add, it was not terrible. And I had to sit and I wasn't defensive about it at all. I, I will always sit back. I respect an elder and I don't care if their age is an elder in knowledge. I respect an elder in knowledge. And, uh, so I, I sat back and, and took in the information and realized, whoa, I may have been doing tarot this long. I may have read every, at the time, every book that was out, there wasn't a lot. Uh, you had to go to the 20, you know, like the spiritual movement to get some books and, and Wade's book and, you know, and, and so I had to take a little bit of that humble pie that I'm trying to serve now and, 
and eat it because it's like, here's this, this one woman in particular, she just absolutely blew me away with different correspondences to uh, particular cards uh-huh. and with different different schools of metaphysical thought and I had not put those dots together at that time and so it was that lesson for me at that time to be cognizant of when you step into the teacher role for, and for me ever since then I have never gone back into a teacher role I don't feel like I'll ever be and even at this age you know a lot of mystery schools a lot of schools of thought think uh, like the whole philosophical thing you can't you don't have the right I hate to use the word right it's a strong word but to even approach being a philosopher which still makes me gag by the way the word <laughs> uh but to approach it until you're 40 that's always been kind of one of those um, right that's like the abram ellen yes yeah. it's one of those rules it's a damn good rule by the way i like it yeah i love it because you at least you have 40 years apparent years of walking the earth and making fucking up right oh yeah <laughs> and so you get a you get perspective you get you know and hopefully you've got some mirth out of it and you're able to to bring something forward so but ever since that time when this one specific lady i just i love her i i, I don't want to mention her name but she changed my world i became very close friends with her after that uh and I I just I I thought I'm never gonna I don't think I ever want to teach anything ever again and I have not outside of like when I was doing like beadwork and stuff like beading class stuff like that but not mm-hmm. like in the metaphysical realm and in the realm of spirituality I I took a I decided to take a back seat and I'm going to forever be a student and part of being a student is also one is allowed to rant like this. Right. One, one is also allowed to ask questions because it's the teachers and the gurus that by nature, I mean, that by nature in and of itself being exalted in that role, there's something about you already know everything. Right. There's no questioning happening. And uh, a real guru, of course, we need to parse this out. We need to get this language straight. A real guru doesn't, present themselves as one right so those people that you encounter that are actually teaching you and they're not coming from that role that title over their forehead that the those those papers on the wall i graduated from this so-and-so initiated into me in this i know this person and that person and uh those people aside from that it's like that old asian thing the real masters are are, are doing your laundry. They're, they're doing the dishes at the restaurant. And uh, these are the ones where if you recognize them, you pull up to them and you, and you take a seat and you listen and you learn and you observe from those people guaranteed. That's where the guru is and not the one over here selling you a book and a story. Absolutely. Nish, I think that's a great way to end the show. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was beautiful. Yeah. 
And I absolutely agree. Um, real quick, I mean, I wanted to mention that, you know, within this, the perennial student thing, um, yeah. you know, I think this is why I, I don't know for sure why you've done yours, but why I do my podcast is for that exact reason. It's, yes. It's free access to thinkers and luminaries, you know, to actually glean information from yes. like yourself. You know, it's why my on my show with Jerry, we don't interpret dreams. I find that irresponsible unless you have a personal relationship with someone, you understand their symbols. There's no such thing aside from the great archetypal symbols that are going to be universal. Your symbols are different than mine. We might, you know, and so it's irresponsible. So yes, I'm I'm out there trying to find the others. My podcast is about finding others and it's also about looking at people's personal lives that are in the in the public somehow in some way in their field. I I like getting into a deep dive. Who are you? What what's what are your founding symbols and let's talk about what you feel on these subjects and how it ties into dreaming and lucidity. I love it. And that's Nox Mente and now the obelisk, right? Well, Nox Mente, it's all Nox Mente, but the obelisk is our full moon show, which is a separate show, but it's through the umbrella of Nox Mente, which is not about dreams. The obelisk. Right, right. It's more of a kind it's of It's on the week of the full moon. And it's just, it's brand new. It's great. Yeah. Two, two episodes so far, I think. Yeah. Two moons. Two, two moons. moons. Yeah. I think the mm-hmm. last one was a Pisces one, right? So. Yes. I love, I'm loving the new show, by the way. So yeah, it's a fun. So thank you very much for having me on. And uh, you can find me also uh, if you go to Vox's Nate or Noxmente.com and you go to the YouTube channel for Noxmente, which is Vox's Nate, it says your hosts. And there you can find Nish, and that's my YouTube channel with my personal time art slash synth wave slash spoken word, the weird videos that we were talking about earlier. So Yeah, and they're fantastic. I can't wait to uh, lead people to you if I can. Otherwise, um, you know, they're going to have such a wonderful time listening to the podcast because they really are so good. And I really appreciate your work. I'm sure I offended a lot of people today. No, I think it's great. You know, and I think there's something, I don't know, like you were saying, and we'll wrap it on here, but there's a freedom to not being the master all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like the ability to say what's on your mind and say your piece, I think means far more to me than getting trapped in a belief, right? Absolutely. Well, Nish, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Keats. I'm glad to call you a friend. Yeah, it's been awesome so far. Let's not have this be the last time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, more rabble-rousing later. Exactly. I've got a couple weeks left in Colorado, Colorado, so maybe we can figure something out. Excellent. All right, Nish, thanks. Thank you, There was uh, my wonderful, unedited two-hour conversation with Nish. A lot of incendiary stuff in there. A lot of potent stuff in there. Um, you know, our aim isn't to make 
any enemies or to be judgmental about people's paths, uh, but it was very, I don't know, um, cathartic, I think is the word, to kind of discuss about, you know, our common gripes, I guess is another good word, about what we're seeing in the modern state of culture. Uh, what's really cool is uh, I've talked to Carl Abrahamson since then, and we touch about we touch on these subjects a bit. Um, so stay tuned for that because it's a good companion almost, and a, a different viewpoint altogether. One that's more like who gives a fuck, you know. <laughs> so it's good to have all of those, and it's good to feel things, and it's good to say things that you feel. So I appreciate you, Nish. And I look forward to this relationship. Once again, see you in a couple weeks. Um, video cast with Carl Abrahamson. And we will be in Denver. So the Portland Weirdo Podcasting Triangle will just have to move to the southwest. Or a point of it, anyway. Alright, love y'all. Haunt on. <laughs>